For the week of November 17th, 2017, this is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast Week in Review. This week, we will be talking about the GOP tax bill that just passed the House. We will discuss what comes next now that Washington has joined the big blue wall, and we will talk about the Alabama Senate race. I'm your host, Stephen Cox. I am joined this week by the founder of Indivisible Washington's 8th District, Chris Petzold. Hello, Chris. Hi there. And I'm also joined by Democratic Party Chair of Washington's 8th Congressional District, Joshua Troopin. Hello, Josh. Hello. How are you? I'm good, brother. So look, you guys, uh, as I as I said uh, later in the show, we're going to break down the balance of power as it stands in Olympia. And we will talk about this special election in Alabama. And um, I specifically want to get both of your takes on what that election will mean uh, either way for both Democrats and Republicans. Uh, but speaking of Republicans, before we started recording on Thursday, the House passed its version of the tax bill. So um, I'm just going to swallow a big gulp of rage here before I start our discussion. Okay, there we go. Uh, So uh, (laughs) the Senate is now going to start working on its own version of the bill. And we learned earlier this week that they're going to roll a repeal of the individual mandate into their tax bill. So that means 13 million fewer people will have health insurance as a result. This is according to the CBO. Here in Washington, an estimated 290,000 people would lose coverage. Uh, Chris, I just want to start with you here. So back during the battle over the ACA, a lot of people felt that what was really happening was a tax cut for the wealthy disguised as repeal and replace. Does the Senate's action make that uh, explicit in your mind now? Absolutely. I mean, the the disguise has come off and the real the real goal of all of this is is blatantly obvious now it's just it's just horrible well so right now a lot of the focus is shifting to the senate and you know, working to get Republican defectors. Uh, Ron Johnson said that he is looking at not supporting the Senate bill, at least uh, he said he won't support it in its current form. Uh, Susan Collins of Maine is soft. Uh, John McCain, Lisa Mikowski also expressing misgivings. Josh, what are some of the ways that the Democrats are planning on pushing back against this bill? Well, one of the things I would say about that is that we've had consistent pressure from groups like Indivisible, and not one penny, uh, making sure that a lot of the things in the tax bill, the ACA repeal, have actually been in sunlight, where in the past uh, we've not really had the same sort of discussion of how these bills affect every individual. And that has left it in the past to basically the default story that Republicans have tried to sell with it. Um, there's, as a party, uh, what we can do is, you know, we stood firm today in the House. Uh, we can whip our own votes in Congress, make sure that there's no wiggle room, and help to analyze and publicize the facts within the bill. Uh, but still, you know, a lot of the pressure has to come from grassroots groups, and it has to come from constituents who are tearing up the phones and emails and letters, at least until um, someone like Congressman Riker just turns the phones off before the vote. I think that happened. That happened this morning. (laughs) Yeah. That's what I heard, yeah. Well, Chris, you happen to be a constituent and a grassroots leader. Uh, So what's next for Indivisible as the Senate takes up the bill? Are members going to be pressuring uh, senators to slow down business like they did with Trump care? Uh, what's, What's the plan? 
Yeah. So we, you know, being in a blue state with Patty Murray and Maria Cantwell, we have, uh, you know, we're in a better position than a lot of the states out there that have completely GOP representation. Um, But yes, we're going to be asking our senators to stand strong, slow down everything. There's just tremendous pressure on Congress to get this thing passed by the end of the year. And so we're going to try everything we can to slow it down for as long as possible. Well, so here's a larger question for both of you. Um, I'm wondering if the Republicans have kind of painted themselves into a corner here with this. Um, As you mentioned that in addition to repealing the individual mandate, uh, the CBO also announced that the Senate version of the tax bill will slash Medicare by $25 billion in 2018 alone. So what we talked about last week with uh, the social safety net programs getting cut as a result of the $1.5 trillion deficit, turns out that's definitely going to happen and it's going to happen right away. So this becomes a big liability, I think. Are Republicans in trouble with this? In other words, if they lose... They're going to be in trouble with their donors, and we know that. Uh, if they win, Republicans in blue states who voted for this bill will likely lose their jobs over the salt deduction repeal, and uh, it also becomes a liability for members who voted for it in the Senate, whose population relies on things like Medicaid. Um, Josh, we'll start with you. How do, how do you see it? Well, first of all, uh, going in the way back machine, uh, people might remember how those Bush tax cuts really turbocharged the economy leading into <laughs> 2008, 2009. Um, But what I saw today, House Republicans were on the floor cheering as they voted to take away your parents' Medicare, pay for literally for private jets. They voted to borrow one and a half trillion dollars from China to cut taxes on private jets. And, you know, it doesn't matter if your representative seems like a nice guy. These are the actions of a group that's basically sociopathic. The Republican Party right now is a sociopath. Um, I can't say enough about everything in here. You know, this bill was written for Trump. They're repealing the estate tax. Uh, They are reducing the tax rate on pass-through businesses. They still haven't explained how they're paying for the Iraq war. And I think that, as you mentioned, you know, the, the SALT, state and local tax deduction, is a really big issue in a lot of areas, uh, especially, as we saw, California, New York, and New Jersey. You, I don't know if you can tell from my accent, but I grew up in the New York area. Um, I had to pay federal, state, and local income taxes, but we got a deduction from the federal taxes. Uh, and the fact that they voted to repeal that today is just an absolute ticking time bomb for the Republicans, especially when, you know, voters in their states open up their next, you know, tax bill and are reminded that they're losing hundreds and thousands of dollars. And it's interesting that all the Republicans, except for Walter Jones from North Carolina, all the ones who voted against the bill today were in New York, New Jersey, or California. And that includes some really conservative House members like Daryl Issa, Dana Rohrbacher, and my former representative, Pete King, who I cannot say enough about. Yeah. Um, the other thing to note is this tax bill passed by 22 votes. It wasn't like the ACA repeal. Riker could have opposed it without really running afoul of the party whips. And he's not a multimillionaire. He doesn't need donations anymore, but he does need a lobbyist job after he, you know, quote, retires. And they're just, they're boxed in now because... 
they either have to cut all these programs or they have to not have a tax cut. And they have to go one way or the other and they're going the way of their donors. Well, so, Chris, any thoughts on that? I mean, are Republicans potentially in trouble here if they pass it or if they don't? I think so. I mean, with uh, with their donors, they're definitely in trouble if they don't pass it. Um, and if they do, with our constituent action of shining the sunlight on this thing, they're going to be in trouble with their constituents. So I think that, yes, uh, they, they definitely are in trouble either way. Um, my heart, you know, breaks for the families who are about to be hit by this with all the ins- uncertainty and the expense and the cuts to Medicare that will happen if this goes through. And uh, I can't imagine that it's going to be good for the Republicans as all of this sort of comes to fruition, you know, going into like long about a year from now, Uh November 2018 is when everyone's going to start to feel the impact. So, yeah, I think they're in trouble. Well, so speaking of that, I'm wondering how that is going to play for GOP districts here in the state. Uh, as we, we were just talking about Dave Reichert, and, you know, he's retiring. So his rather predictable vote in favor of the bill won't have any consequences for him, although it certainly will for this state. Um, Chris, talk a little bit about how your group has been holding Reichert accountable. I mean, I, I imagine it's difficult to hold somebody accountable who is retiring. Well, you could say that, but, you know, the fact is um, he's our congressman still. He he still represents us, or he's supposed to. He works for us uh, for another year now. And so you're damn right we can hold him accountable. I think everyone is just absolutely on fire about how he screwed us today. So, yeah, we're going to hold him accountable. We're making our voices heard through social media, and we're calling his office. So this morning when all of this was ready to go down, you know, people were getting bounce backs to emails. You know, his mailbox was full. Voicemails were full. Um, You know, and going forward, we're going to be tying him to the GOP. So as we go into elections, we're going to we're going to say, look at what Reichert and people like him in the GOP will do for the people of Washington's 8th district. Well, and so let's talk about some of the other uh, GOP Congress people in in Washington. Uh, Josh, as you mentioned, blue states get hurt by this bill, and Washington is very much a high-earning blue state. Do you see Republicans like Kathy McMorris-Rogers, who was a huge cheerleader for this bill, but also Dan Newhouse, Jamie Herrera-Butler, potentially experiencing a backlash over this thing if it becomes law and hurts constituents here? Uh, I think that no Republican uh, should feel safe right now, especially after what we've consistently seen from them in this Congress. Uh, And we have credible candidates in both the uh, 5th and the 3rd. And I think that that's going to be making incumbents sweat somewhat. Uh, Down in the 3rd, we have uh, Dorothy uh, Gasquet, who has been running a good issues-based campaign. Um, Out against uh, Kathy McMuffin Rogers, we have have Lisa Brown. I've never heard that before. That's very funny. (laughs) Well, we... Well, we have uh, Lisa Brown, who used to be the majority leader in the Washington State Senate and was the chancellor of Washington State University. Uh, She's running against uh, Kathy, and um, we're looking at this race. This race is starting to feel a lot like 1994, when Tom Foley was unseated out there in a wave election 
uh, basically because the view was that he had been around too long and he had lost touch with his district. Um, in addition, you know, the Democrats are setting up more statewide organization than we've ever had. So people in those areas will know that they're not alone as Democrats. Uh, you know, we ran a couple candidates out in the 7th LD, and um, they ran pretty strong campaigns. They did and better. I should mention that the, the Democrats haven't fielded candidates in the 7th LD in the for the past two election cycles, right? So it's kind of a, a new ballgame. Right, and every— Every Democrat we can turn out and make them feel energized, even if we don't win that LD, all those voters will help us at a congressional level yeah. and at a statewide level. And let's not, if I could add, so let, let's talk about the priorities of this Republican Congress, especially in the House. So, you know, their big their big thing was to take down Obamacare and take away uh, health care for millions of Americans. Their second biggest priority is this tax scam to give you know money to millionaires and billionaires in the top one percent. Meanwhile, what what exactly have they done about uh, passing some common sense gun law legislation, working on uh, the children's health program chip, or doing anything about the dreamers that have been left out to dry by Trump? You know what exactly are their priorities? priorities here. You you're, you can bet your bottom dollar that the GOP is going to be held accountable for this. Well, yeah. And so this seems like something that the Democrats can really use to run against uh, the Republicans in this coming election cycle. Right, Chris? I mean, it, the campaign ads seem like they write themselves. They do. <laughs> yeah. They're, they literally are writing themselves. All right. So uh, and I should also mention, Josh, since you mentioned Lisa Brown, she will be on our show in a couple weeks. So we'll be very interested to talk with her and get an idea of the kind of campaign that she's planning on running in 2018 and talk a little bit about the uh, the politics and how they're potentially changing out in the uh, the the fifth congressional district. So stay tuned for that. So this week, Republican candidate in the 45th legislative district, Jin Youngley England, conceded, meaning that Monka Dingra will officially be going to Olympia and the state house will now be blue. This along with the governorship. Yay. And of course, both senators are Democrats as well. So the question then becomes, what does all this mean for this state? Um, Naturally, progressives and Democrats in the state are absolutely relieved to put uh, Washington as a state out of the GOP column in the GOP's drive to have enough red states to call a constitutional convention. But beyond that, a lot is unknown. So Josh, we're going to lean on you a little bit here. Um, It is a narrow margin that the Democrats now control. Can you give us an idea of what the balance of power will look like in Olympia now. Substantively, how does this change things? Well, I don't think that we should expect huge, huge changes in 2018 because the margin is so thin right now. Um, I foresee the state legislature doing some stuff better. There will be a bit less blockage um, going on. And I think that the 2018 elections will help us expand the margin we have. Uh, we've had big wave years before, both nationally and in Washington. But you know, the only thing harder than building a supermajority is holding one together, as we found. Um, and there are some big ticket items I would love to see. Uh, Whole Washington is a great group, and they're worth working on universal health care as a ballot item for 2018. 
if we could bring something like that to Washington, or even better yet, uh, have a Pacific Healthcare Compact that covers 50 million residents in California, Washington, and Oregon, we could start to bypass some of the daily grind of worrying about what Republicans are going to do next with our health care in Congress and the White House. Mm. Um, looking at this session, there, what's interesting is that the work of government just will keep going on, and the various agencies and counties and so on across the state have a lot of smaller budget items that we may have been waiting for as we wait to break the logjam. And so there are a few interesting things that they will talk about in their legislative priorities. So the Office of the Insurance Commissioner, for instance, is looking to do a balanced billing protection act in the coming session. That and That's going to protect consumers from being billed for services they got in an emergency room or inpatient surgery from out-of-network providers when the patient doesn't have any control over who provided their medical service. Hmm. So you're not suddenly hit with out-of-network charges when you're unconscious in an ER. Nice. Um, and, you know, the Board of Ed is looking for more special education funding, and they want to increase the safety net account funding. Uh, and it goes down to, you know, the Port of Seattle wants to get Route 518 into SeaTac Airport improved. Uh, King County is looking for $200 million in affordable housing and $5 million to finish the East Side Rail Corridor Trail. So there are a lot of things we can really start to build a basis of good government again now that we have Democrats at all levels and have something to show for our efforts as we go into 2018, increase our margins and if we have a five-point swing, generically, in the uh, state house, that's a nine-seat pickup in 2018. You know, Chris, I, I know that Indivisible did a lot of work canvassing for uh, candidates like Michelle Rylands in the 31st and then Monica Dingra in the 45th. Uh, now that the Democrats have uh, a working majority, are there plans to pressure anyone at the state level on specific issues? Yeah, we're just starting to work on those plans now that, you know, the election is over. Um, and one of the things that we're talking about doing is partnering with Fuse Washington. They have they have a pretty good uh, agenda coming up for 2018. They call it Trump proof Washington. Mm. And, you know, with the blue wall that we have now, we can I'm adding on to that Trump proof America. Um, and so <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm all about that. I like this um, out of this. Yeah. So some of the issues that we've talked about working on with them are, you know, education, voters' rights, environment, you know, piling on to the great work that uh, Jay Inslee, our governor, has been, been doing um, with regard to climate change, signing on to that answer to us pulling out of the Paris Agreement. Um, and so, yeah, we're definitely going to be leaning in on all, all of that work and making sure that um, now that we do have uh, democratic control um, in Washington, they actually start pushing some of this stuff forward and fast. Yeah, you mentioned Jay Inslee. I actually was enormously proud to be a Washingtonian when Washington announced that they were part of a coalition along with New York, originally New York and, and California, as adherence to the Paris Climate Accords. Uh, so, mm -hmm. yeah, I think there's a, a lot to be done there. Between him and uh, our 
our hero, Bob Ferguson. Uh, I know. It's just amazing. <laughs> this is a good place to live. I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm glad to be here. And uh, hey, you're, you're a lifetime Washingtonian, Chris. Uh, Josh mm-hmm. and I are just transplants, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, look, you guys, I want to end this week by talking about the Senate race in Alabama. Um, at this point, eight women have come forward to accuse GOP candidate Roy Moore of making unwanted sexual advances and even assault when they were underage. And uh, the pressure on Moore to drop out from the congressional GOP members continues to mount. Uh, we are just just under a month from the election date. There are a number of ways that this could go. Uh, I should mention that Doug Jones is up by 12 points in one poll, which even if it's just one poll, is just it's astonishing for a race in Alabama for a Democrat to be that far ahead. Um, So like with the tax bill, it does seem like the Republicans are in trouble, kind of no matter what happens, right? If Moore steps down, which he has said he won't, and I'm sure he'll stay good to his word on that, uh, the GOP will need to have somebody else step in, and that would split the vote. Uh, If he is elected, the GOP will either have to caucus with him, and there's a ton of baggage that goes along with that, or they will move to expel him, and there's a ton of baggage that goes along with that. Or, of course, in the best case scenario, Doug Jones wins outright. Um, And in discussing the politics of this, I I really do want to take pains to acknowledge that there are real victims here. Um, So I I don't want to, to gloss over that. But I am interested in how we think all this plays out politically. Chris, is this another one of those lose-lose situations for the GOP like we talked about with uh, with the tax bill? Well, their reputation is certainly being tarnished, you know, up just up and down uh, and all over the place across the country, um, up and down the ballot. And, uh, I, th- you know, I have a hard time making projections since November of mm. last year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just not like Carl in a corner whenever I try to go there in my mind. Yeah. You know, and really nothing would surprise me with this race, um, just given, you know, Steve Bannon interjecting himself down there. And um, I just would love to see Alabamans stand up for what is right here um, and just call call on the GOP to, to do the same. Um, because they're not their reputation is is not getting any better with this situation here and um you know as, as a side note and um, I don't want to gloss over it either um, all of these reports of sexual harassment and abuse are so painful and so many um, women and you know men too have suffered um, from this kind of treatment and I think that you know people People are are stepping forward now, um, and I think it's a movement starting um, with women being able to step forward. And I 100% see that as a silver lining with all of this. Um, and a lot of people ask me why I started, you know, doing this activism work. And I can just completely go back to the day of the Access Hollywood tape being released, and I just was. That something just clicked inside of me where I just felt like I have to take this man down, meaning Donald Trump. And I'm just doing it on behalf of all the women out there who have had this situation. And um, so uh, while this is so sad and it's it's just pathetic about what's going on with the GOP and people defending him, um, I, I I see it as a really turning point really big turning point for women. I actually want to ask you to expand on that a little bit because the last time that we saw 
attitude shift this dramatically was over the gay marriage issue, and that happened over the course of about a year. And I'm I'm wondering, is, is the fact that we have put an unrepentant sexual predator in office, did that just spark uh, an extraordinary amount of rage in not only women, but also in people who respect women? And now we're starting to see attitudes on issues like this shift, and more importantly, that women are feeling more empowered to come forward over issues like this. Come forward and run for office and do what I'm doing and do all kinds of stuff that we never could have imagined before. You better believe it. It was because we elected that man to office. You better believe it. So, Josh, um, in terms of the way that the race is playing out, uh, a lot of people are saying that the Democrats' move is to just stay out of the way and kind of let the Republicans uh, self-immolate. I, I assume you agree with that, yeah? Uh, yes, for the, for the most part in this race. Um, one, of the, one of the things that I would caution people about is that what we're seeing now is not solely a Republican problem. Uh, we're seeing a societal problem opening up. And if you belong to an organization, very, very likely it will have to deal with an incident or more at some point, and the people involved could actually really surprise and disappoint you. Mm -hmm. That said... um, Senator Al Franken, yeah. And and more. And and many others, yeah, and Louis C.K. and a growing list, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, Alabama is also not Washington. I, I've been to Alabama, and it's one of the few places in the nation where I really did experience palpable culture shock. Um, the more reporting of incidents like this, uh, there's evidence that for the people there who are Roy Moore supporters that this is just a vendetta le- led by Eastern liberals, and it could have the paradoxical effect of making his support more insular, and it could actually help more among some segments of the population because they feel like they're under siege. And mm-hmm. a lot of that is inseparable from the culture wars we've been seeing and the development of evangelicals and Southern Baptists as a voting bloc. Um, if he is elected, the GOP is between a rock and several more rocks right now. <laughs> uh, you know, back, uh, back in January, it seemed like a totally safe deal to appoint Jeff Sessions as attorney general and just get another conservative Republican in his place. But now they're all at war. So I don't think that they will end up expelling him should he win. But it's also important to remember that if they do want to expel him, they cannot do it by themselves. It's a two-thirds Senate vote. So they need to get Democrats to join in expelling them, him. And that was going to complicate the play. So that gives Democrats a bargaining chip. Basically, you either accept our changes to the tax plan or you're stuck with Senator Roy Moore, and we're going to campaign on that in 2018. Now, one other rumor I heard is that they could expel him, and then Governor Ivey could appoint Jeff Sessions as I've heard that too. That senator, and then Trump could name a new attorney general whose first order of business is yeah. to fire Mueller. So So sleep tight, everybody. All right. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of ways for this to go. Oh, boy. All right. So, look, uh, just one last word before we go. Uh, 
We have been reflecting on one year after Trump, and we touched on this a little bit last week. But, uh, Chris, you asked your Indivisible members uh, one thing that they didn't know BT or before Trump. Uh, My answer was, embarrassingly, that I did not know the name of my representative. Uh, Chris, what didn't you know BT? There was a lot of things I didn't know. Um, I knew who my representative was, but I didn't know anything about how reconciliation process or uh, how any of this stuff that they do in Congress works. It's been literally a crash course. Um, but I did want to share some of the things that the group said. Please. Um, it, they, it, they just said uh, that they didn't know how much hate and racism existed in our country. Uh, that's been a really big eye-opener. They didn't know that their representatives in Congress actually didn't represent them or want to talk to them. Um, and uh, a lot of people felt that they didn't know that there were so many great people uh, to to connect with and be friends with um, and share this this hard time with. Uh, so there's a lot that we've learned this year. That's another real silver lining is that yep. I think we mentioned this last week that uh, the election of somebody so awful could result in so many of us uh, coming together. Oh, Josh, you have been in politics for quite some time. So I'm acutely curious to know what you didn't know, BT. Well, what I have discovered is that there is no such thing as peak wingnut. And because there was a theory, there was a theory during Bush's administration that we were approaching something called peak wingnut, which is the point where Republicans would go so crazy that they would end up breaking the party and adults would come in. They would start to become more reasonable. And a lot of people thought that when Sarah Palin was nominated in Mm -hmm. 2008, that represented peak wingnut, but blew right through that. (laughs) <laughs> then we thought maybe Trump in 2016 could be peak wingnut and the adults would show up. Um, so it turns out that we're not living in David Brooks's fantasy world and there's no such thing as peak wingnut. Uh, we are now in the age of infinite wingnut. Oh, God. It's, it's got to end at some point. Good <laughs> Lord. All right. Well, <laughs> on that happy note... Uh... <laughs> We will call it a day for this week in review right. for the week of November 9th, 2017. As always, uh, everybody, if you want to know, uh, learn more about the show, head over to IndivisiblePodcast.org and do subscribe while you're there. The email address is IndivisiblePodcast at gmail.com and the Twitter handle is at IndivisiblePod. The Washington State Indivisible Podcast is a production of Get Creative, Inc. The executive producer is Aaron Albanese. Thank you, Chris Petzold. Thank you. And thank you, Josh Trippin. Thank you so much. And thanks as always to everybody for listening. We'll see you guys next time. Bye.